October is anti-bullying month. Really, shouldn't every month be anti-bullying month because bullying is never okay. But in recognition of this specific focus this month, today's episode of the Ed Curation Podcast is sponsored by The Wonder Project from the organization My Face. Inspired by R.J. Palacio's best-selling novel, Wonder, My Face founded The Wonder Project in 2014 and has brought messages of kindness, anti-bullying, inclusivity, and awareness of differences, particularly craniofacial differences, to more than 70,000 students at over 200 schools across the nation since its inception. Bring The Wonder Project to your school or classroom. You'll find them at edcuration.com. My background is in school psychology. Um, So I first got interested in that when I was actually in high school. I remember my senior year, I had a course where I went to the local elementary school. And no matter how my day was going, um, whether it was just okay, if I was having a bad day or a good day, every time I left that school, um, I had a smile on my face. So I knew I wanted to work with kids at some point. That's our first guest today, Adam Collins. And before I tell you about him and our second guest, Jason Harlicker, I want to let you know that this episode is in response to many requests from educators for an episode focused on anti-bullying strategies and resources. In researching the episode, I reached out to a lot of educators asking them to share their anti-bullying successes, and they all declined. They sadly reported that their anti-bullying programs and initiatives had not been successful, and in fact, that they are seeing increases in both school-wide violence and cyberbullying. I thought I'd hit a dead end, but then I learned that my own home state of Colorado is actually blazing a trail of effective, systemic anti-bullying initiatives, and the leaders are more than willing to share their expertise and resources. Jackpot. Adam Collins, PhD, who you just heard, has continued that path he started in high school and is now the statewide bullying prevention manager and MTSS specialist for the Colorado Department of Education and also the co-author of an upcoming book, Effective Bullying Prevention, a Comprehensive School-Wide Approach. Publishing on December 19th, 2022, but currently available for pre-order. The links are in the episode notes. So to all those educators who said, I can't come on your podcast, nothing we've done has been effective. If you find something that works, please let us know. This episode is for you. Here's to better days ahead. Joining Adam is his colleague and co-author, Dr. Jason Harlicker. Jason has worked as a school psychologist, district level coach, adjunct professor, state level technical assistance provider and researcher. He presents nationally on topics related to MTSS. He's a published author with several publications in peer-reviewed journals, and he currently serves as senior researcher with the American Institutes for Research. After serving as a school psychologist, Jason, like Adam, recognized the ways in which school systems were needing to be raised and rebuilt rather than continually and precariously propped up. He really wanted to have a broader, more systemic impact and focused his graduate work specifically on victims of bullying. I asked him why. I don't like seeing mistreatment of people. Um, It's kind of the simplest sort of idea behind all that. And I wanted schools to be a a place where kids uh, and youth can go to 
and to be themselves to not feel um, targeted or or harassed. And so my thesis was mostly on how do victims kind of process their um, emotions and experience when they're a, a target of bullying. Um, and so it kind of what I learned through all that was it, it matters the context and situation, the environment matters. And so we as educators have a lot of sway over that environment. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Adam, I, I really have the same question for you. Is there something that has caused you to make bullying, anti-bullying initiatives more of a focus for you? And especially in terms of the book that you both have written together? Yeah. So what got me into bullying prevention specifically, I remember growing up, I had a, a friend named David who was constantly uh, bullied uh, by some other kids in our neighborhood. So it wasn't even at our school because um, he went to a private school. And so I I was the bystander of seeing that bullying happening. And I remember um, having sort of the same feelings that a lot of the kids that I try to help now have. So the feeling like you want to do something, but you don't know either what to say or what to do. Um, there's no adults around. Um, what if you do intervene and all of a sudden you're the one who's being targeted um, and how would you be able to handle that? And so um, really that's sort of that experience is something that brought me to wanting to focus on bullying prevention because part of the key for bullying prevention is helping the adults teach the students um, what to do whenever they see bullying happening. If I'm hearing you right, a big key of bullying prevention isn't a, a, an exclusive focus on the victim or the perpetrator. It's everyone else within that experience. Yeah. And so that's, you know, we have five core components in the book and that's the first one okay. is having a positive school culture. Really what that means is having a school where everyone is on the same page in terms of what the expectations are. Mm -hmm. And that bullying is not allowed. It's prohibited. Um, kindness is what's focused on. Um, and Jason could tell you a little bit more about that. I think one of the things I learned was it's not about going in and and sort of, quote unquote, fixing the student or saying, why is the student being bullied? That's certainly a piece of it. Uh, but what we find is the context within it happens can sort of create or invite higher instances of bullying. And so one of the, like Adam said, the first component is that positive school climate and culture where you're setting a norm of we don't mistreat each other in this building. We value not just education, but we value each other and we want everyone to feel safe intellectually, physically, mentally, and, and all that. Um, so it is this sort of first step of wrapping your head around how do we as adults create that norm and that environment with sort of collaborating with students and families to do that? Yeah. Okay. Well, so for our listeners, I'm going to back up a step because you two have co-authored a book. The name of the book is Effective Bullying Prevention, a Comprehensive School-Wide Approach, which I can imagine is going to be in high demand. Um, so who is who is it for? Is it for educators at every level of the ladder? Yeah, so it can be for, you know, a teacher who is a champion at a school around these issues. And it talks about how that one person 
can work to build a coalition and a team to help the work sustain and actually become something. Mm -hmm. Uh, It can also be for district level staff if they want to think about implementing effective bullying prevention across multiple schools within their district. So really it can go down from classroom teacher all the way up to district level leaders. I think one of our goals was just to answer uh, what does it look like in a school? Um, Mm -hmm. And so there's, that's appealing to to a lot of different roles and a lot of different educators, but we wanted a a practical sort of detailed uh, handbook. Um, And as much as I wanted to call it a practitioner's guide to bullying prevention, I didn't win that title. But would you say that's what it is? I, I definitely would. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> we just yeah. laugh because I think every title Jason wants to have of anything is a practitioner's guide to. Yeah. <laughs> I have two or three publications where it's. You're a pragmatic guy, obviously. Yeah. You can read about the theories and, and different angles on it. But like, what does it mean? What does it look like within a building? And that's what we tried to make it real plain and clear of here are the five components and here's what they can look like. And for for me, the gap that I was seeing was there was nobody talking about, here's the best practices. And then the second part being, here's how you actually do it. Um, It's great to know, you know, those five core components that we talk about, but the second half of our book is completely dedicated to how do I actually implement this in a school? Yeah. In the midst of all of the other things that you have on your plate as a teacher, um, and I, so I, I want to hear about all of those nuts and bolts, but before we do that, I'm just curious as both a teacher and a parent, <laughs> um, about this idea of no tolerance around bullying, which was something that we started saying several years ago that we have no tolerance. Um, we're a no tolerance school. Is that just kind of a marketing slogan? I mean, how realistic is it for a school? to have a, have a no tolerance policy? What does that even mean? Yeah, that's a great question in terms of what does it mean? Um, so you hear no tolerance, you also hear zero tolerance and like there's zero tolerance policies for bullying. And so what that, for some folks, what that means is if there's one instance of bullying, you're suspended, which we know zero tolerance policies and it's been shown through research are not effective and they're, they can actually be harmful. Because if you think about what are you teaching a kid by suspending them because they were bullying, you're essentially teaching them you get a vacation from school for a few days um, if you're bullying another student. Um, what we talk about in the book is instead of having a zero tolerance policy where you suspend kids, you should have a graduated range of supports for the target student, the student who's perpetrating bullying, we need to focus on how can we support kids so that they're doing um, what we expect them to do, that they're being kind, that if they are a student who is perpetrating bullying fairly frequently, we need to look at what we can do to help that student make the change rather than just suspending them, which really just feels like we're giving up on them. This idea of, of no tolerance, like Certainly part of the the policy is is that we don't tolerate bullying, right? Like we don't want that uh, to be a part of our culture in school. Uh, But what we've found over the years in education is you can't punish away instances of of bullying and and other things that happen. Um, 
so there's really a, a big part of the book is also the instructional piece around that. Like, we don't want you to do this. We want this instead. This is what respect looks like or responsibility or kindness within our, our, our school. So part of that, building that norm, that social norm of, of cooperation and, and respect within the building is using good instructional practices uh, to do that. So what are the strategies that you that you encourage schools to use to create this focus on the behaviors that we want? To me, the first one is laying that foundation of school-wide expectations or school-wide norms of how we kind of engage and treat each other um, so that, you know, people who are familiar with PBIS, positive behavioral interventions and supports, that's really what it, it comes from. So outlining kind of as a school, what's our culture, what's our identity, and then what norms or expectations do we want to reflect that? So that lays that that universal prevention or that universal foundation of, of sort of how we're how we view each other, how we treat each other within this building. Um, along with that, then you are going to teach ways to respond and deal with incident instances of bullying. Um, so you'll give students a, a script or a, a pathway or language to use when they encounter instances of bullying, whether they see it or whether they're uh, a target themselves. So like Adam was saying earlier, as a kid, like he saw it and didn't really know what to say and do. And so as adults and educators, we want to give those tools to students. So we teach them here's what you say, here's what you do. We're going to teach it, practice it, model it for you, um, and kind of build that comfortability with, with doing that. And I think one of the, one of the powerful things is, especially with the older students is you can create, they can engage and be a part of that, of how to interact and, and sort of respond. And so there's some really great examples out there of like videos that students have made of like how to you know, respond and, and what it could look like and, and so forth. Then it almost becomes this positive peer pressure because as soon as one student starts to kind of perform or exemplify these behaviors, the other students are easily able to get on board because they've been they've been instructed. Yeah, we, we talk about that. If if the norm is if I see it, I don't know what to do, then nothing happens. That that can that aids the the person perpetrating but if you create this norm where it, it's like hey we don't do that yeah this Even is yeah. that and you make that so easy for a kid to say that there's a lot of power in that yeah, and that's i mean bullying one of the key features of bullying is that there's an imbalance of power so whenever you're able to switch that power such that you know you have one student maybe who is perpetrating the bullying but all of a sudden there's multiple students who are standing up for the student who's being targeted and speaking against that behavior, all of a sudden that power differential shifts and that doesn't allow bullying to occur anymore. I'll, I'll say the piece just real quick, the, the piece that Jason mentioned about giving students the language, um, scripts, um, sometimes teachers need that too, uh, because yeah. you know it's not something that you're necessarily taught in your teacher prep courses. You know, you're learning about instructional strategies, usually around academics, you may have a few courses around behavior management. You know, that's something that a lot of teachers need support with too. And yeah. so when we're talking about some of the best practices, a lot of that goes back to 
helping teachers be trained so that they feel confident enough to intervene when bullying is happening. Because if you have the worst thing that can happen, it, well, one of the worst things that can happen is you have a teacher who sees something happening between two students and doesn't intervene because that immediately degrades the school climate. That immediately makes the student who's being targeted feel like the adults are not there to keep them safe. And it just perpetuates bullying to continue happening because there's no consequences for it. And that's one of the, when you survey students with poor school climate, they say, the majority say, we don't tell the staff because they don't do anything. The other strategy I was going to share we hadn't talked about was just the intentionally building relationships among students themselves and then teacher and students. Because what that does is it it helps everyone see each other as an individual in person. They They don't see them as a stereotype or a stranger which are easier to, if I view you as a category, then it's easier for me to sort of depersonalize you and, and make you a victim or have it be okay for you to be mistreated. But if I know you're Adam from down the street, you like baseball and Kansas City sports, then I know you as a person and, and you're, you're a rounded individual. You're not like a box and I can't disregard you after I put you in that box. And I think when you look at our our country and our political climate, you see a lot of, well, they're X, therefore I'm mm-hmm. dismissing them and I'm not going to give them more of a thought. And so the idea behind building relationships is it breaks down and sort of that us versus them mentality. And you see people as for who they are. When I hear, oh, I'm just joking, or why is that a big deal? It's because that little word opens the door for much, much worse, even though Maybe you meant something, maybe you didn't, but it all you need is that little opening. Yeah, there's so much baggage behind that word. Yeah. I mean, there's an entire field of research around moral disengagement or basically how you can morally justify in your own mind what you're doing to somebody else. Um, And that's one of the hallmarks of that is depersonalizing or dehumanizing somebody. As Adam said, there is considerable research around the ways in which ambiguous and stereotyping language allows us to dehumanize and mistreat others, particularly in the context of armed conflict. An excellent essay on this topic for secondary students is Robin tolmak lakoffs 2004 article in the New York Times called From Ancient Greece to Iraq, The Power of Words in Wartime. It's linked in the episode notes for your convenience. So um, I want to I want to just take a step back too to what you were talking about earlier, Adam, with the the perpetrators, the bullies. Um, that the tendency has always been that we remove them, right? We have no tolerance. We take them out of the situation. We suspend them. We expel them. Whatever it is, but we've moved much more in our school systems toward a more restorative justice approach to that kind to those behaviors. And I'm wondering what some of those strategies are within your, within the book and within the systems that you all have created to bring that restorative justice, those strategies to the perpetrators. Yeah. So with restorative justice, the key there is to make sure that whenever a a bullying incident occurs, that if there's, if it's true bullying and a student has been victimized, that we don't just immediately put the perpetrator and the victim together to try to hash it out and figure it out. Because what 
inevitably ends up happening is that that victim is re-traumatized. Uh, re there are definitely positive aspects of restorative justice, uh, restorative practices that can help improve your school climate. Uh, the key, though, is to make sure that you avoid re-traumatizing students whenever you're doing those things. I think a, a strength in the book is uh, we don't subscribe to necessarily a a theory per se. It's it's almost agnostic in terms of is it PBIS, is it restorative practices, and so forth. It's really just evidence based. It has a focus on the evidence and the strategies that help create that positive school climate, and then methods for kind of responding and managing instances of of bullying. So what do you do just specifically? So here's this kid, right? And they've they've legitimately traumatized or bullied another another student. And we're wanting to move away from the strategy of suspending them because we know it doesn't work. It's not effective. So what are we what are we doing with that kid? Yeah. So one of the things to keep in mind, and I mentioned earlier, you know, we're providing a graduated range of supports for students. There's mm -hmm. also more recent research coming out that shows if there are no consequences, negative consequences for the students who are perpetrating the bullying, then it can make bullying worse, which makes obvious sense. Yeah. Um, so it's also important for there to be a cost associated with engaging in that kind of behavior. Um, so really it comes down to, and by graduated range, what I'm talking about is, you know, you have those supports that you provide for students um, that are universal um, or tier one support. So, you know, 80% of the kids that, that receive those supports, they're going to be just fine in terms of bullying um, with those supports. That's typically, you know, your bullying prevention curriculum. So that that helps 80% of those kids because it teaches them what to do, how to manage their emotions, so on and so forth. And then um, for a, a subset of students, um, that need more targeted supports, then those are the students that maybe we're doing something like having a check-in, check-out kind of system where they we know that there are issues with them um, engaging in bullying behaviors. So what we do is increase um, the amount of time that either they have learning what the expected behaviors are, understanding what the motivation for the bullying behavior is, Majority of the time, it's attention in some form or fashion. Um, so understanding with um, each student what is maybe driving that to a little bit of a better degree, um, and then creating systems that can then support the student in a way that um, reduces the likelihood that they're going to engage in bullying. And then for those students who maybe um, need even more supports, more intensive supports, or tier three supports, that's probably around five, three to five percent of your students. Then it's then we're really focusing on individual individual work with those students. So in the book, we talk about each of these tiers and the different supports that you can provide for students. So uh, for tier three, one of the programs we mention is the um, targeted bullying um, intervention program. And so what that involves is a lot of um, work focused on supporting. This is my son. Can you say hi? Hi. 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 I am a monster. It's a good opener for the episode. Yum, yum, yum. yum. I hate you guys.
This seemed like the perfect moment to pause and remind you about the anti-bullying and kindness initiatives available through today's sponsor, The Wonder Project. Hi, I'm Dina Zuckerberg, Director of Family Programs at MyFace and the lead speaker of the MyFace Wonder Project. Part of our work at MyFace is to create awareness for the craniofacial community and destigmatize facial differences. The Wonder Project allows us to bring lessons about accepting differences, choosing kindness, and being an upstander against bullying to students of all ages across the country in the hopes to create more inclusive classrooms for everyone. Learn more about the Wonder Project and bringing them to your school at edcuration.com. And now, picking up where we left off prior to the monster invasion. So tier three, the students are, you know, three to five percent of your students. There's um, there's a program called Targeted Bullying Intervention Program, and it focuses a lot around more like cognitive behavioral therapy approaches to um, supporting students. So understanding uh, moral disengagement, which I mentioned earlier, um, understanding what's driving their behavior more at a cognitive level. And there's also, um, you know, teaching uh, lessons around what it the impact that it has, trying to help develop some empathy for, for those students as well. So it's much more one-on-one targeted um, approach to preventing bullying. So that's uh, more at the, the top end of, of what's going on there. So you do see with students who are more commonly perpetrating bullying, there are more punitive measures that schools can take. Um, and those are you know, obviously they make sense in terms of keeping kids safe. Um, so, you know, you may have different passing periods or um, those sorts of things. The key, though, is to make sure that we're not focused on just the punitive, that we're actually teaching what we expect students to do, because otherwise the kids aren't going to learn. It's like, you know, suspending a kid because they can't do their multiplication tables as if that's going to help them learn how to do multiplication. Right. Yeah, that's so important. You also talked earlier, Jason, about surveys, the kind of the student surveys that you've used or that different districts have used. Is that something that's included in the book? Resources? Yeah. Yeah. So your your question, uh, this one and the one before. So we talk about how do you kind of handle systemic issues of bullying within your school? in the book and then you're there's also obviously the the very real like individual instances of bullying um and so we we talk about i I think of it as when a single instance instance of bullying occurs it's both the the target and the perpetrator and so we talk about within the book first it's making the uh, making sure the target is safe and then you're figuring out kind of why were they bullied or why were they a target? And then you can individually address kind of those issues. But part of addressing that is asking it, why were they bullied against some of the universal supports put in place? So for example, are they unable to use the tools that you've given them to respond to bullying? Um, Do they not know the school-wide expectations? So it's it's asking, was there a breakdown for this particular student in those expectations or the universal tools that we have? And then for the 
perpetrators similar questions. Why aren't they, why are they mistreating? Why aren't they using our school-wide expectations or following those expectations of, of sort of good treatment of their classmates? So a lot of that is probably familiar to listeners because it's the classic individualized problem solving that counselors and school psychs and so forth do kind of day to day on the surveys. We, so we do talk about addressing bullying from that systemic perspective. And so we offer uh, examples of questions and some survey items that they can use to assess the overall rate of bullying within their school, uh, as well as like additional resources. You know, ideally a school would survey all their students to assess kind of the overall rate of bullying within their school and kind of get a measure of the overall school climate, but then also to identify those kids that need sort of one-on-one intervention and support. And so we walk through systemically using that problem-solving model. So as an entire school, how can we step back and, and sort of ask, do we have a positive climate? Uh, but then we also discuss applying it to an individual student and what are kind of the different steps and uh, activities that you would do within that. Okay. I think one of the great things too about that part of the book is we talk about what are and Jason mentioned this, what are the questions that maybe you should be asking on a survey around bullying? So with bullying specifically, it's always helpful to know what type of bullying is going on. Is it physical? Is it relational? What's the most common? Um, what is the most common location in general that is hallways or stairwells and the classroom? Mostly because that's where kids spend the majority of their time. Mm-hmm. But whenever you're able to take all those data points and put them together into, uh, for taking a look at your entire school, you can see, okay, maybe it's, you know, the fourth grade students in the hallways um, are relationally bullying one another. Then you can be a little more targeted in the supports that you're providing. um, And you can really hone in on where the biggest issues are and get the most bang for your buck in terms of providing an intervention. Are these programs, these strategies, things that are being implemented in some of the schools that you oversee here, I guess, for you, Adam, in Colorado, um, are you encouraged by the success of seeing teachers implement these things? Yeah, yeah, I am. Because one of the things that um, through the the grant program that I, I support, one of the things that we see is that it is having an impact because they're required, all the grantees are required to survey their students every year on the rate of bullying. And so we're, we have data you know, over the past six years or so. And so we're able to see that there's an over 40% drop in students reporting being the target of bullying. Um, so that part is great. I think one of the other pieces that's great is that we are providing funding um, for whether it's TOSAs or um, district level folks to lead the bullying prevention work. And we're lucky in Colorado because we have the most money dedicated specifically to bullying prevention of any state in the country. So we're able to provide that funding. But these are things that you could do even if you don't have, you know, $2 million a year coming from the state to support. And that's another thing we talk about in the book is how do you make sure the efforts that you're going through actually fit your setting? Uh, How can you actually look for grant funding, even if it's not from a state department of education, maybe there's other nonprofits um, or local community organizations that you could tap into for support, because that's one of the key areas, one of the core components as well is making sure you're you're engaging the families and the community 
um, in the bullying prevention work uh, because bullying doesn't just happen at schools, especially when you consider cyberbullying. And does the book address cyberbullying? Yeah, it addresses cyberbullying. And one of the things that um, we were lucky enough to, to do is have um, doctors uh, Hinduja and Patchen who are from the Cyberbullying Research Center. And so they were kind enough to let us reproduce um, some of the work that they have um, completed. And so there's um, examples of different aspects of cyberbullying prevention uh, throughout the book as well. Can you tell us about one of those examples? Yeah, so one of the things that we connect back to school climate um, Jason was talking earlier about your expectations and your rules. And usually, um, if you're a school that's implementing PBIS, you'll have a behavior matrix. So on one side, you'll have um, the different locations in the schools, and then you would have the school-wide expectations on the other side. So be respectful, be responsible, be safe. And a lot of times you'll see the locations be, you know, those common locations that you see in a school, cafeteria, classroom, gym. But one area that you don't usually see is online. And so if you're able to connect your three to five school-wide expectations with how students should be behaving online, then you can start to preempt some of the problems that you may end up having um, if you um, weren't to do that. Uh, another thing I know um, from having worked with our, our grantees, there's a company called Bark. B-A-R-K, and they have um, a software that uses algorithms that basically scans um, all of your um, G Suite and pretty much any kind of um, electronic device or software that schools use. It has an automatic system that scans for any terms or emojis or anything that's related to bullying or harassment. It does that automatically and then can send reports to administrators. And they provide that for free to every school um, wow. just because um, that's their mission and it's just a, a universal support to try to prevent bullying as well electronically. Okay. And that's that's where schools can, uh, can also get very uh, targeted and supported with the curricula they choose. And so they can actively select a curriculum around cyberbullying. So one of the, I think one of the strengths of our book is we look at different curricula and just kind of give some summaries uh, of different options out there across tier one, tier two, and tier three. Uh, I'll admit one of our challenges was finding an evidence-based curricula around cyberbullying. There just doesn't seem to be that many out there. There's certainly options that are based on kind of uh, good research principles, but in terms of like finding ones that have like a study and, and hard evidence behind it, we're limited in that piece. But one approach for cyberbullying could be actively teaching students, hey, this is actually not okay. And this is what cyberbullying looks like is can be powerful for schools. As a curriculum marketplace, of course, we were eager to know about the curriculum that Jason and Adam found to be the most evidence-based and high quality and they generously shared that list with us. You'll find links to all of these resources in the episode notes, many of which are available through Ed Curation. I think it's worth saying we, our criteria was just, um, was it research-based and was it, did they study it in connection to bullying rates? We're not endorsing one over the other, but we were selective in 
in those two criteria. What are some of the metrics that you use to know if these strategies are working, if the curriculums are working? How do how do we know if it's working? It's not just a matter of like less kids are getting sent to the principal, right? Yeah, it's kind of that question around do you measure it by the the reduction or absence of something versus the increase or the the thing you want to see? Um, I, I think a good metric is around the overall school climate. And so when surveying students, getting a sense of their perceptions, you should see feelings of connection and engagement with school increase as well. Um, And I think kind of along with that, being able to identify uh, peers or adults that they feel a relationship or connection with. So if schools are implementing kind of those universal things, they should see some of those relationship engagement sort of variables uh, increase as well. And those are all measurable through, really through a survey um, or as simple as asking students, you know, name an adult you feel connected with in the building. Um, And then just literally counting how many students put at least one adult. Yeah, so the surveys play a big role. Yeah, and, and doesn't always have to be surveys. Those are just the strength of them is it's very easy and you can reach all students and you can make them anonymous pretty easily. Yeah. Great. Well, in thinking about success, I would love to hear some of your own favorite success stories. I know that you share a case study in your book. Um, I'd love for you to to tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, Adam and I are actually big Stephen King fans. So he wrote basically oh, a short novella. Um <laughs> Oh, the case study, but I he, is it Stephen King esque because that no. doesn't sound like a success say, story. <laughs> it's real dark. That, that'd be the unabridged version. That, uh, right. but I uh, what I appreciate um, with what Adam did was it wasn't just like oh hey here's what it could look like. It's very realistic and down to the actual dialogue and detail a team might have, which is why we joke that it's a novella. But it's. It's realistic and paints kind of the different steps that a team can go through to implement. So it does have a purpose other than me uh, <laughs> moonlighting as a, a novelist. <laughs> so it follows the stages of implementation, which is around um, a feature of implementation science. Basically, what it says is most innovations that you try to put into a school. You know, maybe you see it at a conference, you say, oh, this looks like great, something great for bullying prevention. I'm going to bring it back and put it in my school. And you go from zero to 100 without considering the need, if it fits what your school actually needs. Um, you don't think about what kind of training or coaching that your staff may need to actually implement it well. You don't think about how you're going to communicate it to staff and families and to students. There's a whole host of things that if you just find something you like and just try to put it out there, that you miss. And so what the way we broke it down is the stages of implementation, the first being exploration. So you're exploring, one, do we have anything that we're already using that could maybe uh, work and we just need to beef it up a little bit? Do we have a team that's going to lead the work? It's great to have one single champion, but if that person leaves, then all of a sudden all the work just falls apart. So how do we build a team, a representative team that has enough voice from multiple perspectives around bullying prevention to actually lead the work and do it well? And then it goes into installation. 
which is, okay, we picked whatever approach we want to take. How do we build the support so that it doesn't just flounder and have a false start? So that's where we talk about thinking about how we're going to teach the teachers, um, the different practices or program, who's going to support them whenever there's inevitable barriers that they run into, those sorts of things. And then it goes into implementation. And that's where you, you try to actually do it, but you're going to fail somewhere along the way. So how do you have a system in place where you can learn from that and continue on? Um, so all of that is a big topic. So we tried to put it into a case study. Love it. Do you feel like you've witnessed an exemplar or a success story of this happening? Our grant program um, was lucky enough. One of the school districts um, had CBS News come out and highlight the work they were doing around bullying prevention and kindness. And so they had a student who was talking about they were from another state, I think it was Texas. And so he had a really thick accent. And so that was, you know, students basically have to find something that makes you different um, from whatever the context is that makes them something normal. So for him, it was his, his voice was different. His, um, his accent was different. And so he was getting um, bullied because of that. And so it talked about um, the steps that the school went through to provide support and how his peers were the ones who stepped up to um, support him and so that he wasn't getting bullied um, after several months. So talk to the administrator listening and wondering, where do I start? What are my very first steps for success? Because as I shared with you guys, I reached out to a lot of educators about this episode, wanting to kind of highlight where people were having successes in terms of anti-bullying. And I, everyone turned me down except for you guys. So I know that there are a lot of educators and at all levels teachers, administrators, coaches who are at a loss about where to start and what to do. Yeah, I mean, to give credit to them, the past three years have been For sure. absolutely ridiculous. Uh, and so, you know, we also know rates of bullying dropped during the pandemic because kids literally were not in proximity of one another. Right. And now everybody's getting back into the swing of things. And, um, you know, so rates are starting to go up. So that certainly makes sense. Um, I would say that if I'm an administrator at a school and I know I've heard from parents that bullying is an issue, first thing I would do is get help with my staff. So it's not just me trying to figure it out or it's not just me and my assistant principal or me and my dean. It would be, okay, I need support. So I want to get those who are passionate about this work, who have seen what's going on and want to help fix it and have a team a representative team of folks to help lead the work. And the second thing is to really look at how big of an issue it is. Because if you just have you know, one or two students that it's a big issue, that's very different than if every single grade level is telling you stories about how the kids are bullying one another. Because you're going from you know, a very targeted approach with just a few students to we have to really take a systemic approach because all of our processes and systems in place are not being effective. Um, so you have to understand the scope of the problem. And again, that's why it's helpful to have um, multiple people helping you on that project. And probably some tools and systems. So obviously the first step is to buy your book, but after right. that. <laughs> right, I missed that part, yeah. It, it's a good point. Like I for an administrator like the the single instances of bullying like adam said like rally the the staff like 
collaborate with uh, the families and, and address it and solve it and take it seriously, but then step back and go, okay, is it a larger issue? Is it systemic? And how do I address that? And and I would say, just understand it, it. We call it comprehensive bullying prevention for a reason. It's going to take some time and you're shifting uh, or strengthening uh, the entire culture in the building, which there there isn't a quick fix for that. It's, it's um, you know, spending all those stages of implementation science to to change it. There's not a quick fix, but there's a first step, right? I think that's why that case study, the fictional case study is important because it literally starts, here's my first step, and then yeah. it walks you through what the rest of the steps are. Okay. It's very explicit. I, yeah, and I should mention, we also have ton of uh, resources in the book. So we have like a step-by-step guide, an implementation guide. First step, do this. Second step, do this. Walks you through um, every stage of implementation for trying to prevent bullying. We have a self-assessment of bullying prevention best practices. So you can know where you're at in terms of, you know, are we seeing bullying happening because we're not really implementing best practices or, you know, are we saying we're implementing best practices, but we're still seeing issues? So you can kind of get an idea of um, where your issues lie. Got it. All right. Well, so in addition to that administrator, I'm thinking of a teacher listening who's thinking, I don't actually have a system. My school doesn't have a system in place or my district. Um, I don't have great curriculum resources around this, but I, as a teacher, have some autonomy within my own classroom. So how do I, as a teacher, just all by myself, if I'm alone in this, start to make efforts to bullyproof my classroom? Yeah, so you can take each one of the components that we have in the book and you can apply it broadly or, or narrowly. So if we're talking about a teacher and their specific classroom, then we could focus on it um, having a positive school climate instead of a positive school climate, maybe we're talking about a positive classroom climate. The same principles still apply. It's just we're talking about your classroom rather than the school as a whole. Another piece of it is uh, another component is family and community partnerships. You can certainly, as a classroom teacher, build those relationships with family members without it having to be a whole school-wide approach. So you can, if you're a teacher and you know, you know my administration isn't really going to probably support this, you could still take a lot of the pieces from what we talk about in the book and apply it to your classroom specifically. Yeah, we offer just various strategies. We talk about different ones throughout the book. And so um, at, I think a teacher could easily read that little section and, and go, okay, I know how to do this within my classroom. And there is, I talk a little bit about classroom management itself in connection to school climate in that chapter as well. I didn't ask you the thing that you would maybe most want listeners to go away with. I mean, for, for me, I think it's realizing um, there's a lot of power educators can have in looking at instruction, curriculum, and environment, and the extent to which that supports students. And whether we're talking academics or social and emotional learning or an issue like bullying, we, we kind of frame parts of the book around how well does instruction curriculum and environment support uh, the students. And if, if you have an issue such as bullying, then there is a breakdown somewhere within instruction curriculum or environment. And mm-hmm. so your job as an educator is to figure out where that breakdown is uh, because that's what we can manage and sort of 
have more control over relative to to things outside the school. So we, I was trained from that angle. I very much operate and endorse from that angle of, you know, what is the the ICE instruction curriculum mm-hmm. environment? And how can you address that? So we say ICE. You look at ICE first and then learner. And so the way you remember it is ICE ICE baby. And I I did that presenting once, and I had a guy come up afterwards and he's like i won't forget it now because of that song because of the song it's music enhanced learning the only thing uh that we didn't really talk about was policy and bullying prevention policy which is a very core piece of effective bullying prevention because whenever you have it written down this is what a school or what a district will do whenever bullying happens then there's accountability there And so one of the things we hear from parents a lot is I make a report of bullying and then I have no idea what happened. Yeah. Um, And so when in the book, we talk about having a flow chart for parents and for students and for staff, honestly, of, okay, you have a report of bullying or you see an instance of bullying. Here are the different things that need to happen. Here's when you should notify families. Here's when you should... Um, speak to students, those sorts of things. So it's important to have that information in hand because that's the first place, usually besides calling the classroom teacher that a parent might look is, well, what does the handbook say? What am I supposed to do? I do have one more thing to ask you. In terms of all of the things that are vying for educators and especially educational leaders for their attention right now, what would you say to convince one of those educators or educational leaders that this is something that they really need to prioritize? Yeah, I would say if you have students that are being bullied, it doesn't matter what you're teaching them, they're not going to be learning. Um, So if you're worried about making up for um, lost academic time and everything else, if a student is scared to go in the hallway after your class, It doesn't matter what you're talking to them about. They're not going to pick it up. Um, So you have to address um, bullying behavior. You have to address behavior with academics. The book Effective Bullying Prevention, a comprehensive school-wide approach, releasing this December, is available for pre-order through the episode notes, along with links to all of the resources discussed in this episode and so much more. Seriously, the episode notes this week are like a treasure chest. You'll also find a link to today's sponsor, The Wonder Project from MyFace. Bo, a fifth grader at Greenvale Elementary School said, thank you so much for your informative presentation and for sharing your experiences with us and teaching us about craniofacial differences Our class has signed a pledge to choose kind. We will stick to your word and be upstanders against bullying. Visit myface.org slash wonder to learn more or search The Wonder Project at edcuration.com. If there's a topic or resource you'd like to share or hear more about on the podcast, please let us know in the comments or reach out to us through our website. We hope you found this episode helpful and we invite you to join us again next week on the Ed Curation Podcast, where we're reshaping learning.